But what they do is they disobey God and they go over into a certain area called the land of Shinar. Okay? At that time, remember, everything, everybody's speaking the same language. They've got the covenant with God in this dispensation called human government. So they know what the will of God is to replenish and to keep those seven laws that we talked about. And to be abide by this covenant here. Okay. So now we're going to see if they obeyed that covenant or not. They go over into the plains of Shinar. <clears throat> they begin to build this tower whose top would reach into heaven. As a result of that, we're going to see that God is going to bring judgment. Let's see here what we've got. Okay. Let's look first of all at the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. From these three sons of Noah, the whole earth is repopulated. Everybody can find their roots back to one of these three sons, okay? Specifically, the descendants of Ham are Africa and Arabia. The descendants of Shem, the word you get the Semitic people from, Semitic, the red line again is flowing through Shem, and that takes us... Uh, Primarily to Assyria, that would include Israel, Iraq, Israel and Iraq. And then Japheth here flows out over into Asia Minor. I know you can't see that, but that's what this is. Asia Minor, which would be also Europe, would be the descendants of Japheth. Okay, y'all got that? All right. Now, let's look at something real briefly here about uh, these sons. Let's go over to 9 and verse 19. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine, and he was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son or his littlest male had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servants. Okay, y'all with me here? Now, what we have, of course, after this flood, we have these descendants here of Shem, Ham, uh, or Ham, Shem, and Japheth here. But Noah, the Bible tells us that he took of the fruit of the vine, and he got drunk by it, and he was laying naked in his tent. And so what happens is, is Ham... His fourth son, Canaan. The Bible says, Cursed be Canaan. And he talks about the little son here. Verse 24. Noah woke from his wine and knew what the younger son had done unto him. Or the littlest male, it's his grandson. That's being made reference to. Canaan is the fourth son of, of Ham. Okay. And so he says, Cursed be Canaan. Now, if the problem with, was, was with Ham, why did he curse Canaan? Okay, well, let's look at this. First of all, Ham sees his father naked in the tent. And he doesn't cover him. What he does is he laughs at him. He mocks at him. Instead of covering his father, 
his father's nakedness. He mocks his father. He laughs at him. But that's not just all that was going on there. Because Noah wakes up and he knew what the littlest male son had done, which would have been his grandson, Canaan. What was going on there, his little grandson, Canaan, was in the tent with his grandfather when his grandfather was naked. And as a result of that, Ham sees him with his grandfather, Canaan's grandfather, his father in there with him, and he mocks that. And then he goes and tells his brothers about it. Okay? And so Noah wakes up and he curses Canaan. You with me here? And then all of a sudden, the spirit of prophecy comes on Noah. And he starts prophesying about these three sons. Okay? Now, let's look at what he says. We know that Canaan is, is cursed so that the descendants of the Canaanites are cursed by God. If you study the civilization of Canaan, I, I don't believe that Canaan was just in there just, you know, looking at his grandfather Noah. I believe that he was involved some immorality there. The way the text reads there. There was something immoral going on with Canaan. And so the descendants of Canaan, the Canaanites... You remember the land when Israel went in and took possession of the land of Canaan? The Canaanites, if you study their culture, you will see that there was great immorality in, in that group of people. Okay? In fact, it was so bad, sexual sin was so bad in the Canaanites that there was disease even found in the animals. So God, so a, this is not just something that happened with a little boy, Canaan, but this is a prophecy is my point. That, that uh, there is a prophecy on the Canaanites that they would be cursed by God. And a lot of it has, it has to do with their immorality and their sin. It was a very, very evil, wicked, demonic society that Israel went in and destroyed. If Israel hadn't destroyed them, there would be nobody left in the earth. Because sexual disease and everything else would have just taken over the earth. Okay, so this is, I'm trying to get, the point here is that it's prophecy. He's prophesying here. So we know that the Canaanites are going to be cursed by God. Now, the Bible says this in verse 25. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Okay, so we know that Israel took possession of their land. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And Canaan shall be his servant. So now God tells us, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. God identifies for us through Noah where to find God. If you're going to find God, you're going to find Him in the tents of Shem. You're going to find Him in the Semitic people. You're going to find Him. The covenant people is going to descend from Shem. And, and if you want to find God, you're going to have to look in their tents. Okay, you with me here? Which would be Israel. Amen. And then he goes on and tells us something else. He said, God shall enlarge, enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So now he talks about Japheth here, and he's going to dwell, he's going to enlarge Japheth. Remember, this is the European people, okay, Asia Minor. And he says that they're going to dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, when the white man invaded into Israel and conquered their land, Europeans conquered the land of Israel. They busted in the tents of Shem, and that's where they found God. You understand what I'm saying? They found God there. All right, just as the Scripture says, 
they would dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So really what God is doing is, is giving us a prophecy about these various men here. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay. Amen. When we look at these men, though, the Bible says that they begin to build this huge tower. Remember, it's human government. They're supposed to govern under God by His covenant. But they're going to do their own thing. They don't think they need God. So go to Genesis 10. Of course, you have the table of nations in Genesis 10. The descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth listed there. Okay, let's start there in verse 8, 10 and 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Or, yeah. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord or against the Lord. Now, he's a descendant of Ham. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, or literally against the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kelna in the land of where? Shinar. Out of that land went forth Esher or Assyria and builded Nineveh, which means the habitation of the sun. The sun, who? The sun of so called Baal. This is Baal worship here, okay? Habitation of the sun. Uh, and the Bible said the city Rehoboth and Calah. Now, so we know that the scripture tells us about this man, Nimrod, who is, he's the one who's basically the king over this kingdom in the area of Shinar, Babel particularly. He's, and he's, he's the one that's, of course, Assyria comes from. That's important because when we're studying Daniel, you remember we're talking about Babylon geographically. That was ancient Babylon, modern day Iraq, and also Assyria. So he is the one that is basically king over this part. And people have gathered in this one place instead of replenishing the whole earth and obeying God. Gathered in this one place and building this tower whose top may reach to heaven. Okay, you with me here? Now, as to why they're doing that, well, Babylon, this system here is a system, any system that leaves God out. So basically what they're doing is they're trying to, to save themselves and run their own life without God. Okay, we've got Nimrod who's promising protection he's going to take care of them if they'll just come up under his government under his authority he's a type of the antichrist we have a type of one world government here we have a type of one world religious system here we have a type of one world economy here all right you with me on that y'all know this right okay so instead of, again obeying god they've all come here and they're building their own governments and they're forgetting god so this is a system that leaves god out whether it be economics, political, or religious, it's a system that leaves God out. That's what Babylon is. Okay. Now, as they're building this huge tower up, maybe they're thinking, I'm just, we're just talking about here. The Bible said, really, they are journeying away from God, even the direction that it tells us here. They are journeying, moving away from God is the point. And uh, so, they get over here and they build this kingdom. They're trying to leave God out, and God comes down. And he confounds their language and he scatters them throughout the whole earth. So Genesis 11, let's look at this. The whole earth was one, one language, one speech came to pass as they journeyed from the east. That they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So they're moving away from God even directionally here. 
And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name and let us, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower with the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. They have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down there and confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Okay. Pretty self-explanatory. All right. So now we see them going throughout the earth. Fourth dispensation, promise. Okay, we can't get into a lot of detail in this because, you know, we're trying to cover a lot of territory in one hour's time. Sometimes that's more difficult than, than just having liberty. But we come to the fourth dispensation. This is the promise made to Abraham and his descendants. Now, when you get to Genesis 12, with the scattering of the different peoples throughout the earth by confounding their languages... In Acts 2, what happened when the Holy Ghost was poured out and they begin to speak with tongues, now they're brought back into uh, a one-tongue type situation. So they're regathered and restored in the book of Acts. But here they are scattered. But when you get to the 12th chapter, 2,000 years of history have come and gone. Okay? When you see Abraham come in the scene, 2,000 years in the first 11 chapters. When you get to chapter 12 and the rest of the book of Genesis, the focus is not on the, nation, or the nations all over the world that have been scattered, but the focus now is on one man and his seed. That one man is Abraham and his descendants, and now God is going to enter into a covenant with Abraham. Okay? So now the focus has changed. So it's like God of the first few chapters here, first 10, 11 chapters in Genesis, He very quickly moves over creation, and the history of man, and the scattering of man, etc. And then all of a sudden, he, he pulls it back down in first gear, and he starts going very, very slow here, because he wants you to understand that he's now choosing one man and one race of people that he's going to enter into a covenant with, and through that man and his descendants will come the Messiah. So the focus is shifting now. You see what I'm saying? All right. Because ultimately God's purpose in this Bible is redemption. So he tells Abraham in Genesis 12 verse 1. He says this. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred. From thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So now he calls Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He calls him out of Babylon. Get away from all that idolatry that, that was there. Okay. And to separate yourself. So he calls him to be a separated man. And he says, uh, I'm going to send you to a land, or you're going to go to a land that I will show you. And we know that to be the land of Canaan, right? Okay. So he tells us right here, he says, separate from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, and to a land I will show thee. And I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So in Genesis 10 and 11, they were trying to make their own name great. Trying to build their own kingdom. So now God's got to separate Abraham. Now remember this, Abraham is an idolatry until God 
till he's converted, till he, he comes and understands the oneness of God. I can prove that by Joshua. That Abraham worshipped the moon god. But he was a worshiper. And so God just had to, to show him, you know, that he's the one that he should be worshiping. Are you here right now? It, it wasn't like Abraham was born worshiping the one God of the Bible. This man is an Iraqi. This man's coming out of Babylon. He, he's caught up in the worship of idolatry. So God tells him, you separate yourself from that land of idolatry. You separate yourself from your people, your kindred. And, and I'm going to, you know, go to, you're going to go to another land, all right? And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to make your name great. Now, not many people know who Nimrod is. Unless you go to church. And Nimrod's whole focus was to make his name great. And to build his own thing. You with me here? And God judged that. But Abraham, because he obeyed God, and because he was in covenant with God, God said, I will make your name great. So we can be like Nimrod, a rebel. We can be against God. We can walk with an antichrist type spirit and try to make our own kingdoms and make our own names great. And we'll be forgotten. But if you follow God, enter into His covenant, He will make you a great nation and He will, what? Make your name great, Abraham. And everybody knows who Abraham is. Even the Hindus and the Muslims and people who don't even worship God, they know Abraham. So, amen. Anyway. And He says, In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In verse 3. Let's read that. I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Okay. So we got the Semitic line, bloodline. Abraham has a divine call by God. All right, we get to chapter 13. There's a separation that takes place. Of course, whenever Abraham gets out of the land of Babylon, hallelujah. You know, it takes me about 30 minutes to even start getting in the flow of the Spirit. I mean, I'm just telling you, you can't teach this Bible study from your brain. You can't. you got to just wait on the Lord. Just be patient. And the Spirit will start flowing. You can teach it. But anyway, the, uh, the awesome thing about this is that when Abraham leaves Babylon, or he leaves Iraq, as God told him to, he takes his father, Terah, with him. And he takes his nephew, Lot, with him. That's not what God told him to do. He said, you leave them all. Okay. Anyway, he goes a little ways, goes over to Haran, and Terah dies, you know, and whatnot. But it slowed him down, slowed Abraham down. Now, he's got his, lot, his nephew Lot with him, and there's going to be strife and problems because he didn't obey God. So let's look at that real quick. And this is 13, verse 8. Genesis 13, verse 8. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Now, what was the strife over? You got it. Y'all are right. It had to do with the cattle and who and all of that. So anyway. Verse 9. It's not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself. So Abraham says, now, just take your pick. Separate yourself from me. I pray thee for me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. 
Lot lifted up his eyes. So he's a man who's led by what he sees. He's a man who's led by his flesh. He walks by sight, not by faith. Abraham's a man of faith. So Abraham says, as a man of faith, he says, you take what you want. I'll let you choose. Amen. And I'll, I'll just keep what's left. I'm a man, because he's a man of faith. Okay. Then when I go, and, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of, garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou camest unto Zohar. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from another. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Okay, so we have this separation here. And we see in this story, we see a man who walks by sight and a man who walks by faith. Lot is a man who walks by sight. He pitches his tent towards Sodom. Okay? And so he gradually, eventually will end up in Sodom, in that wicked city. So in a sense, he's backsliding here. And he's backsliding progressively. He didn't wake up, you know, one night and say, I'm going to backslide and go into Sodom. What he does is he does it by step. Okay? He starts playing with the world. He lifts up his eyes. He starts being led by his sight, what he thinks, what he, what he feels. You see what I'm saying? Pretty soon he, just, he gets a little closer and a little closer and a little closer to the world. And pretty soon he's right there living in it. And so he's a picture of the backslider. Abraham, of course, is a man who walks by faith. Now, wow. Heavy stuff. Let me get back up here. Okay. Praise God. I tell you what, this Bible study flies, man. I mean, it flies through this stuff. Okay, remember God said, now I'm going to make your, your name great and make a great nation of you, right? But he and Sarah don't have any children. He's 100 years old and she's 90 years old before they ever have any children. So before they actually have the promised seed, then they're going to help God out. So this great man of faith who walks by faith doesn't have enough faith to trust God's word and his promise. So Sarah talks, you know, kind of encourages Abraham to take Hagar, her handmaiden, and have children by Hagar. And so they did. Abraham gets with Hagar and they have a son named Ishmael. And from Ishmael we have Arab nations that have come. And so because Abraham disobeyed God and didn't wait on God, then now we've got the conflict of the ages between Israel and the Arab nations. Amen. Genesis 17.10. Let's read that. Genesis 16, he had that son. God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed. What time is it? After thee and their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you. Thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Okay. So God, this covenant, the sign of the covenant is given here. It is the circumcision of the foreskin. All right? Now, the Bible says this in verse 12. He that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money 
of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that so shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Okay, so in the Old Testament, the sign of the covenant was physical circumcision. Go to Colossians 2. If you did not experience physical circumcision in the Old Testament, you broke the covenant of Abraham. Now, what you need to understand is that salvation for Israel came through the covenant made with Abraham, not the law covenant. All right, Colossians 2. Verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Look at this. So we have a circumcision in the New Testament, but it's not a circumcision made with hands. It's not the circumcision of the foreskin as it was in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us what the New Testament circumcision is. It's made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is it? Buried with him in baptism. Wherein also you risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. Okay? So when you're now, when you're water baptized in Jesus' name, that is the, the, the sign that you've entered in the covenant with God. In the Old Testament, if you were not circumcised physically, you broke God's covenant and you are put out from God's people. In the New Testament, if you refuse to be water baptized in Jesus' name, then you are, have also broken the covenant of God. But y'all understand all of that. Okay. A token of the covenant. We have the promised seed. Genesis 21, 1 through 3. And then, of course, it's miraculous. It's a supernatural seed that is given to them by God, by promise. And then God tells him to take that promised seed. I'm going to try to get off this chart here, finish it. All right, so he's 100 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. They finally have Isaac. And then Isaac is probably somewhere around the neighborhood of 30 years old. And God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son. Well, I thought he had Ishmael. Yeah, but in the eyes of God, Isaac is a promised son. Okay? Take your son, your only son, take him up to Moriah, and, and there offer him to me. So now, what we have is God showing us that animal sacrifice is not enough. That in order to redeem man, it is going, it's going to be a man who redeems man. Okay? You got the point here? So Abraham obeys the Lord. He takes his only son. He takes him to Mount Moriah. He puts the wood on his back, Isaac's back. They go up in Mount Moriah there. Isaac lays his life down will, willingly. If he wanted to, he could have taken that, you know, and just killed his father or defended himself and not died there. He was stronger than his father, but he willingly laid down his life for the father lays down, and, I, and Abraham is about to kill him. You know the story. He lifts up his knife. The angel of God stops him from killing him. And the Bible tells us, of course, Abraham is blessed by God because he was willing to do this. But this is a type and a shadow 
of the Father. God the Father offering His only Son for us as a sacrifice as He's laid upon the wood, the tree there. He willingly lays down His life to save us. When Abraham is stopped by that angel, God has him look over in. And I don't know, we're just going to look at this right here. He has him look over in a thicket. And in that thicket, there's a ram caught by the horns in the thicket. That's a picture of Jesus being crucified on the cross, being caught up in the sins of the people. The thorns are top of, of, of the fall is a type of the curse of man. And so we have this ram at the top of Jesus. And so Abraham sees that the Lord has provided himself a sacrifice. Himself a sacrifice. It's not just that God provided, you know, somebody to be the sacrifice. It's that God provided himself a sacrifice, which means this God himself took on the form of a man and died for us on the cross. And so God him provided himself as a sacrifice. And of course, there's a lot of typology in that. But Abraham saw Jesus' day when he offered this sacrifice and he saw that ram over there. He saw the cross. He saw Jesus. Okay? Now we go back down here. If I can get this. Well, you can see it. Can y'all see that better? Okay. Whoops. Okay, as you go on through, through the Word of God, though, before this sacrifice of Abraham of his son, or his willing to do so on Mount Moriah, fulfillment typology of, of the crucifixion. Before that, in Genesis 19, we have Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, remember a lot over here? He pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's going to come down and judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Homosexuality is rampant in this city. Immorality is rampant in this city. So much so that when the angels of the Lord went in that city to get Lot out of there. That the men of that city tried to commit relationships with the angels of God. So they were extremely perverted. And God blinds them. And they're groping. They're touching the walls. You know what I'm saying. I'm talking about the Sodom Sodomites there. That's where you get the term sodomy from is because they were a city of homosexuals. And so the Lord tells us in the Gospels that as the days of Lot were, it's also linked to the coming of the Lord. We live in a time right now where homosexuality is prevalent. It's not done in secret anymore. It's out in open. We've got a, a so-called gay bishop in the Episcopal Church, you know, that they, they're saying okay to. Well, that's a sign that we're living in the last days just before the coming of Jesus Christ. So these men were very, very wicked, very, very evil, trying to commit relations with even angels there. Now, God has those angels literally drag Lot out of the city along with his two daughters and his wife, Noah, uh, Lot's wife. Tell him, you get out of the city because I can't destroy the city until you get out of the city. Okay? God destroys the city, fire and brimstone. The city is destroyed, and literally today in the bottom of the Dead Sea, this city is located there. They've actually found the walls of the Dead Sea, in uh, the walls of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Dead Sea. So God completely destroyed this city because it's iniquity. Of course, we know Abraham stood before God in intercession and asked God if there were only ten. Ultimately, if there's only ten in that city, would you spare the city? And God said, yes, if there's only ten, I'll spare the city. There wasn't even ten people righteous in the city. Only Abraham, only Lot. His two daughters and his wife. Only four people got out of that city. That was it. And then God rained down fire and brimstone. 
God's going to judge America. He's going to judge any nation, any country that allows sodomy to run rampant. And especially any religious system that calls itself Christian, that condones uh, sodomy, the sodomite lifestyle. God is going to judge that. You mark it down. The angels literally have to drag Lot out of that city. That's sad. Now, here's the sad part about it. And I've got to let y'all go so we can go pray. But the sad part about it is this, that when Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and he started backsliding away from God, I'm sure that he never thought that there would be any consequence. I'm sure he thought, hey man, look, I'm getting all this territory. This is going to be awesome. He didn't realize, though, that he was going to lose his two daughters to the immorality of that city and ultimately his wife. Because when they come out of the city, they get up in a cave with their own dad and commit incest. So the incest that's in that city, the sodomy that's in that city, the immorality that's in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, his children inherited that. See, you are blessed if you're raising your children in the church, in the kingdom of God. Because if, you, if, if I were to walk on, out on the Lord, or you were to walk out, on the, walk out on the Lord, right now we don't see any consequence and we think everything's okay. But as our children grow up, you're going to see the morality of this world in them. And so ultimately, Lot lost his family when he backslid. They're drug out of the city. The angels, God said, don't even look back. Don't even turn back. I'm going to utterly destroy it. They're coming out of the city. Lot's wife just cannot, she can't resist the temptation. Her, hey, her home was there. Maybe her son-in-laws were in there. Her heart was there. I, the Bible says she turned and she looked back. The way the scripture reads though, it, would, it, 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 it seems to give evidence that she not only turned and looked back, but she made her way back. That she started heading back to that perversion there. Because that's where her heart was. He said, don't even look back. And if you do, you'll be turned into a pillar of salt. So she looked back. Her heart was there. And as soon as she did, she turned into a pillar of salt. And today, near the Dead Sea, there is a pillar that they call Lot's wife. That's a memorial to everybody. Don't look back. Don't turn back. And even in the New Testament, Jesus picks up this incident and he says this, Remember Lot's wife. It gets difficult sometimes. It gets, it's hard sometimes. And you are tempted sometimes to turn back. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Because Jesus said this, If you do, you will end up just like, like Lot's wife did sad and then of course we know the story of how they committed incest I don't want to lose my children okay the Lord did y'all y'all with me up this point I know we're really flying through this but that's the way these Bible studies are set up and I'm trying to do it like you would do like you teach it in the house next week we'll talk about the promises continued and I'm not I'm going to stop right there okay praise the Lord let's pray Father God I thank you right now for your awesome spirit that is here in this place. And I thank you, God, for all the souls. God.
there are hundreds and hundreds of people, Jesus, that are lost on their way to hell. There are backslidden, Pentecostal, Jesus' name, husbands and wives. Because their hearts were in this world. I pray, Jesus, save them. They have no idea what they're doing. They have no idea that the decision that they have made is going to end up being their destruction, their children's destruction. Save them, Lord. And all the people, God, that we're teaching Bible studies to, we are in a perverted age. We are in a sodomite age. We are in an incest-infested demonic world. And people need you, Jesus. So we pray, God, all these Bible studies that are being taught, they will be taught with power and conviction that will reach into the hearts of people and bring them into the kingdom before it's too late, before your judgment falls upon this country and upon this world. There are backslidden husbands, God, in this church that once attended this church, backslidden husbands who are going to be destroyed because they look back the devil's lied to them. Oh, God, I feel the Lord. The devil has lied to them and told them they're okay. Told them they're still saved. Told them they're still going to be in heaven. They have received a delusion. They have received a lie. I pray for them, God, to be restored, to come to repentance, and to be saved. For if not, you will judge them just as you did Sodom and Gomorrah and Lord's family. I thank you, Jesus, for all the efforts of this body of believers, this church, in winning the souls and reaching out, teaching Bible studies. In Jesus' name. God bless you. I appreciate y'all. Go, let's go and pray, and then we'll come back in here and have church, okay? Thank you for your anointing today, God. We just give you the praise and the glory and the honor tonight, Jesus. Thank you for this Bible study tonight, Lord. Ask your blessing to be upon it. And your anointing, God, inspires through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, we're going to try to finish this Bible study tonight. The second lesson, we're talking about the promise. And this is the promise continued. Okay, we have the son of uh, Abraham, Isaac. And then Isaac has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Okay, let's go to Genesis 25. And let's read that. Genesis 25. 21 through 26. Verse 21, Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations... Or in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. 
Okay, so we have these twin sons that are born. Of course, Esau is a type of the flesh. Jacob is a type of a man who's after the spirit. The scripture tells us about their life. Okay, 25 there. Can y'all see that all right? can't see it down there in the bottom. Okay, Genesis 25 talks about uh, they've grown up, you know, and whatnot. And the scripture tells us that there comes a time when Esau is out in the field. And he's hunting. And he has a really bad day. Okay? He doesn't get anything. So he's really hungry. And he sees his brother Jacob. Of course, Jacob is more of the home boy. <laughs> he's more like mama's boy, okay? Really is the way to put it. I don't really... <laughs> mama's boy. He's, uh, he's not really a man of the field. He's not really, you know, that type of man. He's more of a mama's boy. Uh, of course, Jacob is the younger son. Esau is the older son. And Esau's out there in the field, and he has a really, really bad day. He can't catch or kill anything. So he sees his brother Jacob, who's prepared some pottage, some lentils to eat. So he goes over to his brother Jacob, and he wants some of that food. Jacob says, I'll give you some of this food if you will give me the birthright. Okay. Nisau sells his birthright for a pot of beans, basically. This shows you that he is a man who's a carnal man. He's a fleshly man. He's more concerned about his getting his appetite taken care of than he is about the birthright, which is a spiritual thing. Now, Jacob is a liar. He's a cheater. He's a manipulator. He's a conniver. But he is spiritually minded. You know, he's after the things of the Spirit. Now, Esau says, if you give me this bowl of beans, I will sell you the birthright. I'll agree to that. Now, what is the birthright? The birthright is the inheritance it is the double portion that goes to the elder son. So if you were an elder son, you'd get twice as much of the inheritance as the younger son did. Okay? Connected with the birthright, there is a blessing. The blessing, he later is going to, you know, lose that too. But the blessing that's connected to the birthright has to do with being the priest, prophet, and king in your house. It also means that you are in the direct line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you've got the birthright, then you've got a double portion. And if you get the blessing, then you are in the bloodline of the Messiah. And you are the head in the house. You have authority as prophet, priest, and king in that house. So this is pretty major stuff. This is spiritual things, okay? But... Esau, again, he looks at this situation and all he knows is that his flesh is hungry. You know? All he knows is that he, he wants what he wants. He's after fulfilling his appetites. Okay? Basically, he has this mindset. The birthright is a promise. He don't get it yet. He don't get the double portion yet. He doesn't get the inheritance yet. This is all something down the road in the future. So what good is a birthright to me now? I want 
to gratify my flesh now. So he's a man who lives for the now. He doesn't live for the spiritual things. He's a man who lives for the now. And he's willing to sell out his spiritual birthright to satisfy the now. He's the kind of man who says, how can I live on a promise? What good is a promise to me right now when I'm hungry? Okay? And there's a lot of Christians that are like that. They are more concerned about the now than they are the spiritual. And they will sell out their birthright to gratify their flesh now. And again, their concept is the same, same thing Esau had. What good is a promise to me right now? I need to get my flesh, get my needs met right now. So Esau, the Bible says that God hated Esau, but he loved Jacob. Which is kind of, you know, miraculous that he, not that he hated Esau. We understand why he hated Esau, this red hairy man. By the way, his name Edom means red and hairy all over. You know, his fleshly man. I can understand why God would hate this man because he's a carnal man. And he lives only for the now. He's not spiritually minded. But how God can love Jacob, that's a mystery in a sense. Because Jacob is not an angel. <laughs> God's going to have to wrestle with him too. I mean, Jacob is a liar. He's a liar. Okay? Tricker. But why God can love Jacob and not love Esau is because Jacob, again, is spiritually motivated. He wants the things of the Spirit. He'll go after the things of the Spirit. Where an Esau man doesn't go after the things of the Spirit, he only goes for today. He only goes for the temporary. He only goes for what he can see. Jacob said, no man, I want the birthright. I want the spiritual promise of God. I might not be able to get it right now, but I want it. I'm after it. And A man or a woman who only lives for the now... And is not hungry after God and hungry after the things of the Spirit. Now, you might be a liar. You might be a cheater. You might be a conniver. And pray to God if you're a Christian, you, you know you're not. But if you are, what allows God to look on you with favor at all is the fact that you love the Spirit. You love the church. You love God. Esau in the Bible is called a profane man. A profane man, a fane in ancient times, a fane was a place of worship. So when it says he was profane, which that means he hates the church. You really with me here? He's not hungry for, the, for God. He's not hungry for the promises of God. And he is a church hater. Oh, God, have mercy. I feel the Holy Ghost right now talking to, to us all. <laughs> okay. But again, Jacob, is a, he's, he's got some problems too, but he's after the Spirit. He loves God. He loves the church. He wants the birthright. And ultimately, he's going to get the blessing. So I don't want to be like Esau. And when I teach Bible study, this is the way I teach it. I don't want to be like Esau that just lives for the now. Only want, you know, to, to gratify my flesh now. I mean, that is so easy 
And it's so tempting for all of us to go that route. Man, you give into the flesh, and in a sense, you know, it's, you're not dealing with the pressure, the warfare, the fight to, to live godly and to be right with God and, and to, you know, do what you're supposed to do. Just give into the flesh like Esau. But God hates that nature. So in a sense, I want to be like Jacob. I want to be hungry for the things of the Spirit. Now, how does that apply to us today? All right? The birthright is your inheritance. Double portion. It's your birthright. Okay? Jesus says that, you know, the birthright goes to the firstborn, right? Jesus says that we are the church of the firstborn. Jesus was Mary's firstborn son. Okay, you with me up to this point? He is God's only begotten son. Now, in the Old Testament, and I'm giving you a little extra information here so you can understand when you're teaching this, because the Bible study manual doesn't even really explain the blessing and the birthright and the difference between the two. So I'm giving that to you so you can teach this. Okay, you with me? Birthright is what? Double portion, inheritance. Blessing is what? Prophet, priest, king, authority, and bloodline of the Redeemer. Now, in the Old Testament, these two things were split. The priest went into the hands of Levi, a son of Jacob, the priesthood. And then the kingship went into the hands of Judah. So instead of them being together, they're separated in the Old Testament out to Levi and to Judah. Now we're talking about the blessing here. Priest and king, okay? When Jesus comes into the world because he's the only begotten son of God and he is the firstborn son of Mary, he brings both of those things, both of those offices back into one. So that he is from the tribe of Judah. He is right, he has the birthright to the throne. Okay? And because he's bringing in a Melchizedek priesthood, being the son or the first begotten of Mary and the only begotten of God, then he is now the high priest. So both offices are now found in him. Now, we are called as a church, the church of the firstborn, which means this, that I have the double portion or I have the inheritance of God. What is my birthright? When did I get that? When did I get the double portion? You remember Elijah? Elisha wants the double portion. I want a double portion of your spirit. That goes to the firstborn son. That's why he said, my father, my father. I've got a right to this, first, to this double portion because I'm, I'm your son, spiritual son. Now the point is this. That we are the church of the firstborn. My inheritance came to me and the double portion came to me by birth. And that took place at Pentecost. When I got the Holy Ghost, got born again, then I got the birthrights. When I got the birthright, I also got the blessing because the blessing is connected to the birthright. And that means this, that I am a priest and a king unto God. You are a priest and king unto God. So, by birthing, I... The Holy Ghost is my birthright, my birthright, and the blessing is the ministry, okay? So anyway, and you are priests, and it goes on into the high priesthood, in, in a Melchizedek priesthood, which is the fivefold ministry. 
All right, so does that explain to you the birthright birth versus the blessing? So today, for me not to want the birthright is to say no to the Holy Ghost. Say, I don't need the Holy Ghost. I don't need to be born again. I'm going to live for now because what good is living on a promise doing me? And I don't need the blessing because I don't need the ministry. I don't need uh, the kingdom. I don't need priesthood. So that's a person who's walking in the spirit of Esau. All right? Now, I don't want to live like that. And a lot of people, because they have bad days. I'm going to have to hurry here. They have one, they have a bad day, and they sell their birthright. They walk out of the church. They walk out on God because they had a bad day. And they all, because their flesh is not feeling good or they're not comfortable right now. Or they're not getting their needs met. They'll walk out on God and walk out in the church. That person is a profane person. That means that he's a church hater. He's a God hater. And God hates that spirit in all of us. Okay. But I want to be like Jacob. I want to be hungry for the spirit. Man, I might be, have a bad day. Hallelujah. And I might not be all I need to be in that particular day because I'm having a bad day. But I want to long for God, His church, His word, His spirit. Woo! I feel the Holy Ghost. Man, the Holy Ghost taking this word and putting it right in somebody's spirit right now. Because some of you have been walking like an Esau. You're ready to throw in the towel because your flesh is uncomfortable. But anyway, I, I got to be careful not to preach because I'm trying to teach a Bible study to you anyway. So anyway, don't sell out. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Esau sought with tears. He sought repentance with tears. But the Bible says he could not find it. Hebrews tells you that. Which means this, there's some things that you do that bring about lost opportunity that you can't change. Doesn't mean God won't forgive you, but you've lost your opportunity. He lost the birthright, and ultimately he lost the blessing because he gave in to his flesh. Okay. So, anyway, we go on down here. We're going to see that this man, Jacob, you know, God needs to work on him. Hallelujah. How many God needs to work on you? He needs to work on me. As a result of this selling of the birthright, then ultimately <clears throat> Jacob tricks his father into giving him the blessing also. He hears his daddy Isaac, who can't see very well. His daddy said, it's time for me to bless. I'm fixing to die. I've got to bless my son. And that goes to the older son. Mama and Jacob hear this. Rebecca hears this and says, Jacob, go out there, kill two kid goats. And bring them to me. One of them, she took that, well, she took the goat, she took the skins off the goat, she clothed his arms because remember Esau's hairy all over. So she put hair on, goat's hair on his arms and on his neck here. He goes in there with this 
You with me here? He goes in there with this goat meat while Esau, his brother's out there hunting for his daddy's favorite meat, which is venison, to bring it back because Esau is going to get blessed now, you know, so you got to give daddy some deer meat. But Jacob's going to trick and lie and cheat his way into getting the blessing. So he walks in there and he's got hair all over his arms. And his daddy says, Isaac says, boy, you feel like Esau. But you sound like Jacob. He should have went by what he heard and not what he saw. See, even Isaac's mixed up. He, he still had the ability to hear, even though he couldn't see. He said, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. So nonetheless, the Bible says that his daddy Isaac blesses him. Now he's got the blessing. Boy, he's going to be in the, in the line of the Messiah. He's got the authority to be prophet, priest, and king over his house. You with me? And about that time, Esau comes in and finds out that Jacob has been blessed by his dad, Isaac. And from that day forward, he determined to kill his brother, Jacob. Now, they lied. They lied. So what Rebecca has to say, get out of here. Get out of run to my brother Laban's house because Esau is going to try to kill you. And so Jacob runs off. He never saw his mom again. And Jacob eventually will reap from Rebekah's brother, Laban, a man who will cheat on him, change his wages ten times, give him Leah when he wanted Rachel. You reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. God will make sure of that. He lied, he gets lied on. So anyway, the point, to make a long story shorter, he goes over to Laban's house. He wants Rachel. Laban gives him Leah. Wakes up, you know. There's the elder, watch this. There's the elder sister with Jacob. What God is trying to teach him is this. I've got to teach you the birthright, son. So that's why I'm going to give you the elder daughter here in the place of the younger daughter, son, because you've got to learn the, 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 law, the law of the birthright. So anyway, he's going to reap what he sows. But on his way to, well, I'm going to have to hurry here. On his way to Laban's house, running for his life, he sees a vision. He sees a ladder reaching from the earth to the heavens. And he sees angels ascending and descending there. Yeah. Praise God. And he gets a revelation that God is with him even in that place right there. And he calls that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And he makes a vow to God. How many of you made vows to God and kept them? He makes a vow to God. And he says, God, if you'll get me back here. Hallelujah. If you'll protect me, watch over me. I will come back to this place. And I will worship you here in Bethel. I make a vow to you. And also, God, I'll pay my tithes. I'm going to pay you off, God. Now, giving tithes is, is right and it's good. But Jacob was using it to pay God off. Uh, he's still trying. He's even trying to trick on, trick on God, man. <laughs> 
Hallelujah. God shows him I'm still with you, so he makes a memorial there. He's got some rocks there, and there's a lot of typology there. But anyway, from there, hallelujah. He makes his way over to Laban's house, and that, that is uh, where he is tricked and cheated on, etc. Now, after 20 years, can y'all see that? I'm trying to get this up for you. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> After 20 years, okay, he works for Leah and he works for Rachel. He promised to work for seven years for Rachel. He gets Leah in the place of Rachel. So now he's got to work another seven years. So 14 years for Leah and Rachel. Okay, work, you with me here? And then he works another six years for Laban. 20 years altogether. There in Laban's house, and he's, you know, his family's growing. All he's got children running all over the place, and he's getting more and more wealthy, you know. And then finally, it's time for him to go home. So he makes his way back home, and there an angel begins to wrestle with Jacob, and he changes his name from Jacob, you see the cross there, cross out, to Israel. He is now a man who's been conquered by God. Okay, in a sense, typically he is regenerated. He needed to be born again. He needed to get a nature change. So now it's not no longer Jacob, supplanter, liar, manipulator, but it's Israel. He's got a part of God's name now. His nature's changed now, and he walks with a limp. Because any man who comes in contact with God will walk with a limp. That's a token that God wrestled with him. So anyway, you know the story. God's wrestling with him first. And then he wrestles with God. And I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. There at the river Jabbok. Remember that? Okay. Hallelujah. So anyway, it's a long story. Y'all know the story, right? Okay, so basically you're just following this scripture, this timeline here as you're teaching it. Maybe this, this thing is okay. I'm just got to get these scriptures again. Okay, the latter Genesis 28, then him wrestling with the angel Genesis 32:24, and y'all know the, the story how it ends up. That after he wrestles with that angel, then he he sees his brother Esau. He's scared half to death. Esau's still gonna kill him and uh, whatnot. But he sees his brother and they embrace and it's happily ever after. Okay, very fast. I've got. To, I'm going to take about five minutes here and finish this lesson. Okay, Jacob, of course, had twelve sons. Reuben, his elder son; Benjamin, his younger son. Go down through here. You see Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Judah is the one that's going to have the bloodline. Of the Redeemer. That's why Jesus is called the line of the tribe of Judah. Okay? Amen. Of course, Jacob blesses his son and whatnot. He becomes that one. Levi, as we said up there, is the one who's going to be uh, involved with the priesthood. All right, make a long story short here. Remember Rachel, the one he loved a whole lot and he finally got? Okay. She had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. You with me? And, of course, Jacob loved Joseph and Benjamin because 
that's uh, Rachel's sons. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I'm sure that Joseph looked like Rachel. I'm sure that he did. And Benjamin, when he's born, of course, she dies in hard labor. Um, but he, he loved them very much. And we know the story how that Joseph, he's promised by his, or he actually is given by his father, the coat of many colors, so to speak. Really, he got the mantle. He got the talit. Okay? So everybody sees Joseph, this young brother, walking around with the talit, the mantle of authority over the family. He's the priest. He's the, you know, kingly authority in the house. Hallelujah. And so the brothers don't like that. They're jealous because they feel that daddy loves, you know, Joseph more than he loves them. I'm just going to add a little bit of preaching here. <laughs> oh, God. See, I got, I got people I pastor. That's why I'm putting this in here. Because I got people in my pastor in here. They think, boy, God, look how God's blessing everybody. He loves them more than he loves me. And you get that kind of jealous spirit on you, it will cause you to want to murder your brother. So what they do is because, you know, big brother, he, our little brother has, not only does he have the, the talit, the mantle, but he's also had a dream. They're all going to bow down to him. Now, you got to be careful about going and telling people of your dream. I see all you... Oh, my brothers, my sister, you're going to all bow to me someday. Oh, yeah, yeah, is that right? Well, you, you're going to die. We're going to murder you. <laughs> mm. I love the Bible because, I mean, it just tells you exactly what goes on in all these families. They're not super spiritual heroes, you know. I mean, they are spiritual, but they're not superheroes. All of them have problems, but anyway. Anyway, y'all with me here? Well, he tells them that dream. And so what they do is they take his coat, they kill an animal, they put it in the blood, and they go and they take it back to their dad and say, Dad, he's dead. Broke Jacob's heart. They lied to him. Again, he's reaping all through his life. God have mercy. See, I don't want to, oh, Lord, I got to stop. I got to teach you a Bible study. I don't want to grow up <laughs> someday. And, my, and, and look at my life and my children and because of the way I lived and because of what I did, reap it in them. You will. You will. Because that's just the way God is. He, he's a God of reaping and sowing. So, oh, wow, we better, we want to take care of things right. Amen. So now he's lied to again that his son Joseph, his beloved son's dead. And it's broken his heart. Well, Joseph is actually sold by his brother to a Midianite army that's passing by, right? Did y'all leave me? <laughs> y'all left me when I start exhorting. That's when you leave me. But anyway, he's sold by that army, that Midianite band of people who's going up to Egypt. And so they take Joseph to Egypt. He's now a slave. And eventually he ends up in Potiphar's house. Now, y'all remember this story, right? Potiphar's wife lies on him. She tries to seduce him every day, putting pressure on him to give into that flesh every day. He refused to give into it. Now, listen to me very carefully. 
It's easy. It would have been so easy for Joseph to have given in to those youthful lusts and lose his future totally. If he would have given in to his youthful... Why am I preaching? Man, I'm teaching about... But see, he had a dream. He got a dream from God. Man, he's going to be faithful to God. Hey, a little bit of gratification, you know, fleshy gratification that will just take place for in a moment's time. It's not worth, you know, losing this vision and this dream. Don't sell, into, don't sell out to the flesh when you're tempted. We're all tempted, every one of us, including me. But if I give in to that flesh, it will affect my future. He says, no way, I'm not giving in to you. Now it would have been very easy for him to give in to that seduction, to that spirit. Nobody will know. God will know. But he takes a stand for God. That's the point. He takes a stand for God. You've got to take a stand for God. Can you imagine when he gets thrown in prison? Let me calm down. When he gets thrown in prison, when he gets thrown in prison, what he's thinking if I would have just given in to the temptation, I would not be here right now. But because I did what's right and I took a stand for what was right, I'm in a prison house right now. That's something, isn't it? I can't tell you, and I'll be honest with you, how many times I've been tempted to give in. Ethics. Ministerial ethics. Are you here? Doing hello with, are you with me? I'm not talking about immorality or sin. You know, sometimes we're tempted that way too, but to be honest with you, but I'm just. But I'm talking about really something real close that, that it's, it's, it's a very fine line, you know, that I could let myself be prostituted. I could prostitute somebody else's life because of money or something like that i could do that i've just recently gone through a similar situation uh, that i'm talking about right now and i told somebody i don't care how much money you got i will not be prostituted and i will not prostitute you i don't care how much money you got i told him you can offer me a million dollars and if god told me not to take it i wouldn't take it and this person said pastor carter a million dollars i said yes sir uh, yes, ma'am. And I want to tell you something. The person I'm talking to, could, you know, has ties to probably bring that to past. But I will not prostitute myself, my call, or, or another person. And so because sometimes you walk such a straight line. And so, you know, you just got to walk where God wants you to walk. And be moral and right and ethical and tell the truth and not lie. It's going to cost you sometimes. So, you know, what I can say is this, is always stand up for what's right. And if God meant you to be a millionaire, He'll bring it to you without you selling your, or prostituting yourself to get there. Hallelujah! So think, just get in his shoes, man, how he must feel in this prison house. If I'd have just wasn't so strict, if I wasn't so hard on myself, I, I just 
give in, I'd be all right. I'd be in the house. Boy, I'd be living it up, man. They'd be taking care of me today. But because I'm doing what's right and standing up for God, for what's right, then here I find myself in a prison house. Hello. I'm sorry. Forgive me for preaching. You will be tested. You will be tested. If you stand up for God and what's right, you might end up in prison. You might lose your job. But at least you know, I did what I was supposed to do. There's very few people in the world today that will walk like Joseph. They'll sell out at the drop of a hat. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Make a long story short and closing because I got to pray and I got to preach to you on the eagle tonight. Oops. Okay, let me close out this thing. While he's in prison, there's a butler and there's a baker that's there and he interprets their dreams. They get out of prison. One of them dies. One of them lives to fulfill the dream. Joseph has the ability by God to interpret dreams. If he had sold out, he'd have never had the ability to see visions from God and interpret dreams if he'd have sold out to the flesh. We are tempted. We are tempted every day. Nobody's going to know about it. God knows about it. And it's going to affect your relationship and your ability to have very spiritual, powerful things happen in your life. And to do what's right meant, might mean that you suffer for it. Okay? But anyway, he has the ability to interpret dreams in Pharaoh. Y'all know the story. He has a dream of seven fat kind and seven lean kind, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so Joseph interprets his dream for Pharaoh. He's put in charge, second in command, over the whole kingdom, fulfilling the dream that God gave him. It's not fast sometimes. It's not quick sometimes. It's, come on. It's sometimes a very slow, lengthy process, but you will never regret doing it right. Because when God places you in a position of authority, He might make you number two man in the kingdom. But if you sell out now, you'll lose it all. And not only that, God's going to use you to, be the, to, to, to protect your posterity. Okay. So, the dream, he pulled out of prison, man made number two ruler. Y'all know the story, right? And then after that, there's a, there's a Pharaoh that arises who knew not Joseph. And the scripture tells us that he put hard taskmasters over Joseph's people. You know the story that Joseph forgives his brothers. They come up there for grain. Long old story. And eventually he forgives his brothers, but he puts them in prison for a little while to think about what they've done to him. And that's all right too. See, it's not the, the Word of God according to you. It is not the gospel according to what you think. 
it is according to God. And so Joseph, listen, he's going to forgive them, but he's going to make them repent. He's going to make them sit in a jailhouse somewhere and think about how they sold their brother into slavery. And, and they've got to come to repentance before he can forgive them. Same thing with Jesus Christ. But anyway, he's a type of Jesus. And eventually Israel will repent, recognize that he is their Savior, the one that they betrayed and sold. But he forgives them. Now, I just love the spirit of Joseph, man. I love his spirit. I love him. He's always doing what's right. And even, even ha he has a forgiving spirit, forgiving heart. You know, he didn't let all that bitterness get a hold of him. I know he wrestled with that, and I know he fought that. But he didn't let that get a hold of him. He comes out, and he just cries over his brother's shoulders on, on them. And they, they, of course, are forgiven. And their nation grows and grows and grows and grows. In Egypt, there arises Pharaoh that knew not Joseph, puts each Israel into bondage because he's concerned that they're going to outgrow him. Or if, you know, they don't outgrow him, that if he goes into battle, then is the Israelites will turn on him and help his enemies fight him. So he puts them in bondage. So they're in very cruel, cruel bondage in Egypt. And by this time you get to the book of Exodus that we're going to be looking at, they've grown from anywhere from 2 to 6 million people. And God uses Joseph to protect them. Okay, I love y'all. appreciate y'all. I'm going to let y'all go pray. Hallelujah. And uh, the Lord hasn't come next week. We'll, we'll continue and, and we'll get into the third lesson, the dispensation of the law and the exodus. God bless. Did this bless y'all tonight?